This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Amplify, a regular conversation featuring Australian Museum Director and CEO Kim McKay, speaking to researchers, scientists and other fascinating people from behind the scenes at the Australian Museum. Welcome to the Australian Museum's podcast, Amplify. I'm Kim McKay, the Director and CEO at the Australian Museum, the nation's first museum. Today, I have the great privilege of interviewing one of our top research scientists, Dr. Mark Eldridge. Mark is Principal Research Science here in the Mammology Collection. And let me tell you, I think he's got one of the best jobs in the world because he gets to work with Australia's unique species. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Now, you've been at the Australian Museum, I think, since 2007 in this role. But before that, tell us what you're up to. Uh, Before I came here, I worked at Macquarie University, so I was teaching genetics and mammal courses there. Now, for the public, you were teaching genetics and mammal courses. We don't think they go together, but they do now, don't they? Well, they do, particularly with new technology coming along. We can answer so many questions about mammals' history and, indeed, lives today by using genetics. So when you were a little boy... Growing up, I think, in Mwilumbar in New South Wales, was it? Were you on a farm or were you in town? Or We're in on, in town, but we're on the edge of town. So just across the road was, was bush and then it was farmland and, you know, the river and all the rest. So there was plenty of opportunity to explore and be out in nature most of the time. So what sort of wildlife was hanging out in Mwilumbar back then? Well, Mwilumbar means place of many possums and there are indeed lots of possums. Does it really? The place of many possums? Yes. Fantastic. So, yeah, lots of birds, lots of mammals. So I had very broad interests as a kid. So what did you do? Did you just go out watching them or did you collect any? Or No, I was just wandering around really, just observing, um, watching, seeing what you could see. Like most kids, just poking around, getting into trouble. Well, it's good fun as a kid to poke around in the Australian bush, that's for sure, and getting into trouble too. I think it's par for the course. So you went to Mwilumbar High School and did you study science then? Yes, so I did yeah, chemistry and biology at Mwilumbar High and um, yeah, found that pretty interesting. So I thought I'd do a science degree and one thing led to another and here I am. So where did you do your undergraduate work? At Macquarie University. All oh, right, yeah. so you sort of stayed there over yes. time. And what was your PhD in? PhD was in rock wallabies, was, um, which I'm still working on, uh, trying to work out really how the different species had formed because they're quite an uh, interesting group. They sure are. In fact, I should say at the Australian Museum, you're quite a legend because you are Mr. Rock Wallaby, aren't you? Yeah, I have a bit of a reputation. A bit of a reputation. (laughs) Well, we'll get to those Rock Wallabies in a moment. But I think one of the most interesting things is that the Australian Museum, because it has this vast collection and many species, of course, which are now extinct, are held here at the museum. It enables scientists like yourself to delve into that collection in a new way, the new technology. Can you tell us a bit about how that happens? Yes, well, with the new techniques, we now only need really small pieces of DNA. And what is present in the museum collection is material that we used to call degraded. Now it's actually the perfect size to do genetic analysis. And so we're able to actually look at the DNA of pretty much all the specimens in the museum and... uh, you know, answer questions that we could only ever dream about previously. So what have you discovered in that process? Well, we've discovered new species. We've discovered um, how the species have evolved in Australia, how they've moved around the landscape. 
Um, we've answered, yeah, all sorts of questions about the history uh, of, of the marsupials. So that must be a pretty exciting moment as a scientist when you discover a new species in the collection, is it? It is. I think it's one of the biggest thrills uh, is to come across and recognise something as different that no one else has recognised before and you see it with fresh eyes and think, wow, I'm the first person to actually see this for what it is. So give me an example of when that most recently happened to you. Well, we were working with some uh, rock wallabies in north, uh, northern Australia. and uh, the Whereabouts were you? We were working around uh, Litchfield and Kakadu and then further across in Kimberley. Right, so up in the Northern Territory, Litchfield National Park's a fabulous park, not far from Darwin. In fact, if anyone is in Darwin any time, they can just drive down the road, literally. Kakadu, a bit further, but very, very special place. But also up in the Kimberley. So these, this type of rock wallaby is spread right throughout the northwest of Australia, is it? Yes, well, that's what we thought. But when we actually looked at the DNA, we realised that there were two species here, one in the Northern Territory and one in the Kimberley. And they'd been separated for a very long time, uh, for millions of years. So they were clearly different species, but no one had actually pieced that together before and realised it. So our identity is so wrapped up in these mammals, isn't it? These are special Australian mammals. We grow up learning about them at school, but in fact, we're not the only country that has marsupials and monotremes, are we? No, well, New Guinea has, has actually more species of monotreme than we have. Really? Yes, they've got uh, three species of echidna. For example, we've got just the one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and South America has a really big uh, marsupial fauna. Uh, lots of things they call opossums over there, which are found right through South America and up into North America. But they don't have a platypus, do they? No, they don't have monotremes. Um, there are some fossil evidence that monotremes occurred many millions of years ago in South America. But Really? What, what sort of fossilised bones have been found or what's been found? Yeah, in Patagonia they found some teeth of platypus uh, like creature. Right, so Patagonia is such a gold mine for fossils, isn't it, for dinosaur bones? So that's fantastic. So at some point, what, 60,000 years ago? Or a million years ago. 60 million, I should say, 60,000, that's no time at all. 60 million years ago, the platypus saw its relative existed in Patagonia. Wow. Yeah, that's right, and that's part of that whole sort of Gondwanan heritage that we have of, you know, a shared fauna between Australia, Antarctica, and South America. Exactly pretty exciting to be in that space and, and understand that it's like piecing a jigsaw puzzle together really isn't it of... it is you've had this giant jigsaw puzzle not just at the continental scale but also you know within the continent looking at how mountains have you know come and gone and how species have moved around but australia was fortunate we got these special species that hopped around or koalas in trees that no one else has has That's right, we have this vast array of marsupials that are found nowhere else, so it's a real privilege to work on them. Now, I want to talk to you about some work you've done recently with the Eastern Quoll, because if you've lived in Sydney a long time, you know that quolls used to be in backyards, really, pre-bandicoot days. I grew up with bandicoots under the cubby house, but there were quolls as well, and in fact, I think the last spotted quoll was found in Vaucluse in Sydney, wasn't it? That's right. In Nielsen Park in Vaucluse, there was quite a well-known colony of, of eastern quolls, and it was thought that this was a place the eastern quoll made its last stand on the Australian mainland. But they used to be really common, and they, people had them in backyards, and, and yeah, that all changed in the early 1900s. Did they eat them? Oh, they didn't eat them, no. Um, they so quolls... it wasn't part of the Indigenous diet either? Aborigines didn't eat them in um, Not as far as I know. 
No. Right, but they were certainly very much part of the landscape. You would find them. You'd where where does where does a quoll dwell? Well, they have a little den site that they go into during the day, um, a hollow log or you know under some rubbish or something. Mm-hmm. But then during at night they come out to forage on on small invertebrates and and small vertebrates, so lizards and mice and things like that. Now, what is extraordinary is you've discovered a new version of this eastern quoll, or perhaps the same one recently, is that right? Yes, well it was thought to be extinct on the Australian mainland and last specimen from 1963. And then this year, last year sorry, we were contacted by National Parks and they'd been given this specimen by a local resident in the Barrington Tops area. And it looked like an eastern quoll, but they wanted to do some DNA testing to see whether it really was uh, a mainland eastern quoll. So for listeners, the Barrington Tops is where? How far from Sydney? Well, it's about four hours' drive north of Sydney, so up in the mountains. Very beautiful area, very Mm. rugged and remote area, Um, but yeah, quite high elevation. So this eastern quoll was discovered in 1990, or seen in 1990, and then you've tested the DNA. So we tested the DNA from it and then we compared it to DNA from specimens in our collection which we knew were mainland eastern quolls and the DNA was very close so they were very similar to in fact one of some of the quolls from Vaucluse and quite different from the eastern quolls in Tasmania. So we concluded that in all probability this was actually a eastern quoll from the mainland but decades after everyone thought it had gone extinct. So they was one still running around in 1990, maybe there still is one still running around out there. Are you going up there? Well, we're trying to get some funding to go up there and put out cameras and, and have a look and see what we can find. So in this day and age, apart from being technologically astute dealing with DNA, you have to know how to operate cameras to capture the movements of these nighttime creatures too. Well, camera trapping is another of these innovations that's come along that's revolutionised the way we do mammalogy. Uh, and so many people use it now as a first point of seeing what's out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a makes the exped, expedition a whole new experience because you can share it with other people as well. Well, that's right, and you can you know bring back pretty cute pictures of of animals as well as uh, data. So we hear words like phylogeny and taxonomy. What do they really mean? Well, phylogeny is is piecing together the relationships between species. So it's actually looking at who's related to who and when they diverge from each other. So it's building like a family tree of all the different species going back through time. And we can use DNA to do that um, and can work out who's, yeah, the relationships. Mm -hmm. Taxonomy is the more formal uh, process of classifying things according to the system that Linnaeus set up hundreds of years ago now. Uh, where you actually formally name things. So taxonomy is the science of of naming things. The science of naming things, but of course something that museums have been known for. We are the institutions globally that practice taxonomy. And it's sort of not a lost art or science, but it's practiced less now maybe than before, yeah? It is practiced less uh, now than before, which is a bit of a concern uh, because there's still an awful lot of things to discover and name. Uh, but it is certainly a niche that the museum really fills very well. Uh, but a big part of your work is conservation biology, isn't it? This is why we investigate these species in Australia. We're concerned about their future and ensuring, helping to ensure that more species don't go extinct. Uh, so how does, how does that work, the practical application of your studies? Well, because we're looking at DNA, we're able to identify 
species and individuals are able to look at populations and how individuals move around the landscape in time. And so we do spend a lot of time advising yeah, national parks and other management agencies about how to manage populations, um, which ones to mix, which ones to keep separate, um, when are they becoming inbred and they need some new blood in them, uh, and all those sorts of things. How is climate change impacting on our marsupials and, and other m mammals? Well, we can. Uh, there's evidence that some mammals are, are retreating upslope, so some and some alpine specialists seem to be coming less uh, common. But yeah, there's going to be huge impacts right across the board uh, on our mammal fauna. So Australia's biodiversity is going to be probably significantly impacted as uh, the climate warms. I think it will, and species are going to have to move to keep track with their habitat and their preferred you know, climatic niche. And because we fragmented the landscape, uh, then sometimes these species actually can't move now. And so we're going to be have to manage things much more deliberately and maybe even move animals around the landscape in a way that we haven't had to do before. We're saying, you know, your, your distribution is going to be moving south, so we're actually going to have to pick up animals and move them south because they can't actually get there get themselves there. anymore. Ex so extreme intervention. To it manage our biodiversity. It will be extreme intervention, but the alternative is extinction, which I think was infinitely worse. Infinitely worse, yes. And, and of course, because our uh, fauna is so wrapped up in our psychology, I think, our coat of arms. And in fact, you wrote the macropods section, didn't you, on the Handbook of the Mammals of the World, which is, of course, tell us what a macropod actually is. Well, a macropod, yeah big feet macropod. Uh, it's the kangaroos and wallabies and rat kangaroos all fit into that whole group. So that group of animals that the rest of the world think is really weird because they hop, which is actually a weird thing for a big animal to do. Australians think that's reasonably normal because kangaroos hop. Uh, but biologically speaking, it's a very, very odd way of getting around. So that very distinctive group of animals um, is, yeah, the one that I wrote that section on trying to summarise basically everything we knew about every species of macropod there was. So you are pretty much our world expert on macropods here at the Australian Museum? Well, I know an awful lot, particularly after reading thousands of papers on, I on macropods. That's right. People sometimes think science is all in the lab, but it's actually doing a review of all of the other scientific journals and papers that have been written, isn't it? That's right. The yeah. literature review. The great literature review. And yeah, there were piles and piles of papers in my office for months. I can only imagine. But what a great contribution you've made, Mark, to our understanding of Australian species. And I, I really do believe that here at the museum, we're so fortunate that we have exposure to this because it does set us up for why Australia is a special country and why we need to look after our landscape even more. What's the thing you take away every day, the passion that keeps making you come back here day in, day out? What is it? Well, it's the thrill of discovery, but more than that, it's just an appreciation for how amazing Australia really is. And every day you learn something new about how animals have survived in this continent for a very long time. And yeah, trying to do your bit to make sure they can continue to survive. Fantastic. Well, Mark Eldridge, thank you so much. And thank you as well for being part of the fantastic Australian Museum Research Institute, where we do this great work to protect and preserve our species for the future. And you've been listening to Amplify at the Australian Museum. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Kim McKay, signing off.
This has been an Australian Museum podcast. 